So this evening's reading is uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Faith and deeds. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith? I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed in God and was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend." You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodgings to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, sisters and brothers. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and have complete control tonight. Speak directly to our hearts, to our minds, to our souls. Do that hard work of turning us into your holy people, into a holy nation here in Winchester for your world. Amen. Well, today, this evening, I would like to talk about how faith requires action. Because, sisters and brothers, it starts with, and you know this, an encounter with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, why does it start with an encounter with Jesus? Well, it's quite simple. Jesus was the first to run to you. He was the first to want to be in your lives and to know you and for you to have a personal relationship with you. Before you even dreamed about running to God, in Jesus on the cross, he was running to you. 
So we know that this Jesus fella is a man of action. If you've got the text in front of you, that's great. Do uh, get the uh, reading up. It's James 2, 14 to, uh, verse 14 to 26, and we're just going to go through it now together. In our text, James continues to offer practical advice. And he's offering practical advice on what the Christian life should look like. And last week, if you were here or on the stream, you would know that last week's conversation for James was all about favoritism. What do we do with it? What do we not do with it? How do we manage it? Now, this week, James is offering us two, two rhetorical questions. And I think they're these. What good is faith without action? And secondly, can faith alone save us? Now, James is a church leader here, and in this letter that he's written to an audience, he's sharing some thoughts about a really, really serious issue. It's so serious, he's chosen to include it in his letter. And in chapter 1, and here in chapter 2, we discover why he's written, why he's put pen to paper. This was before tweets and Insta and all those kind of channels, but I'm sure he would have used them if he had them. And I think the key bit is this. Having a faith in Jesus is all about transformation, not transactions. Transformation, not transaction. And for James also in our text, we see that it's because fancy words are no substitute for action. I love new ideas but I still need a push to make me do something about the new idea or the new concern I've discovered. And I think probably all of us here are much the same. One push came for me when I went to India with a previous church, and I remember stopping at some lights when a woman walked up to our minivan and she knocked on the door. And as she knocked, she was stood there holding her child now, her child was too skinny and too short for its age, and it was a horrible sight to look at. And I remember her knocking. I remember how I felt sick, and I remember how I fell completely quiet, and I did nothing. I remember how all of us in that minivan just dissolved and just disappeared and we quickly and quietly sped away. For the first time, yes, I was witnessing extreme poverty, and it was extreme, but friends, I hated it. It was horrible. As our wheels started rolling again, I looked at that woman straight in the eye, and I prayed, and I thought this, God, God, how can this be fair? How can this be fair? We arrived a few moments later at the project where we spent the next two weeks, and we had a wonderful time there. And it was wonderful, not because the curry was good or the, or the toilets were some of the best in India, uh, and they are hard to find in certain places. It was wonderful because these people, these Christians, because of their faith, had decided to challenge the status quo, not to accept it they had decided to call that woman daughter. They had decided to see themselves in her and not to look away. 
and inspired by their faith, they had plotted practical help to see what they could do to bring her in. It was this moment that pushed me to take an unpaid internship at Tear Fund. And when I floated it with my wife, Bethany, I'd just done my three-year degree here in politics. And to go back to her and say, could I have another year of unpaid work was a risky step, because <laughs> you need the money, don't you, at some point. But that push had pushed me over, and I knew that I could not just stand aside anymore, that my faith required action. So in our text today, for James, if knowing that, that if knowing um, a faith is just about learning the right answers to those difficult doctrinal issues that you get in the pub or in the SU or at download or wherever you are, James would say it's just a transaction. You're waiting for the answer that the question to come and you're going to throw an answer straight back at it. Now, I'm not saying answers to people's difficult questions are wrong, but I think in our text we see for James, he's saying it's more about a transformation, meaning that we become more like Jesus and more for Jesus. And that's because we all have to be participants in action, in the action of faith every day. People should see that Jesus means something to you before you even open your mouth. James himself, interestingly, became a Christian after the resurrection. It seems to have been the physical action of his brother, of Jesus, the Lord and Savior, that brought him to faith. It was not a smart remark, and I'm sure there were many of them as they were growing up. In verses 14 and 17, James gives us a specific test case to make this point. He says, imagine someone comes to your church and they're struggling to meet the daily basic needs. They're not after more, they're just after the basic stuff. They need food and they need practical help quickly. Yet it seems no action is offered by the Christian community. It seems that this person is only sent on their way with a holy blessing. Have you ever done this? I have. I've offered prayers, but I've avoided providing the small, practical bit of help that I could have done in that moment. Have you ever wondered why Jesus fed the 5,000? In Matthew 14, we get the story of Jesus on this hillside, and there's 5,000 people. And you know, at theological college, they ask us this question, what was the big theological point? You know, what was he doing? How do we unpack it? Well, I think it's quite simple. He fed them because they were hungry. They had come, after all, to meet this man, this preacher, and they had come in the morning, and then they stayed until late. And now, I would be the same. They were grumpy and hungry, and they wanted food. And in Matthew 14, in that text, and in the rest of the New Testament, we see that Jesus meets the basic needs, and in doing so, he allows those around him to belong. And once they belong, once they are seen, once they are known, then belief just goes mental. People want to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
In verses 18 and 20, Jesus, uh, James reminds us that faith without action is dead. And it's dead faith, I think, because following Jesus is not about knowing the right answers to your mates in the, uh, to their difficult questions in the pub, but it's about knowing the right action, the next step in following Jesus, to show faith at play wherever you are, wherever you go, however you're feeling on that particular day. We are also reminded that even the demons know who Jesus is. They know who he is, but they cannot act in a way that brings glory or life or love or joy to Jesus because they're against him, but we are for him. And that's why our actions need to be more than just words. An encounter with Jesus should just seep out of us, should just show people that there is something more to live, and that is the joy of being a Christian. Hasn't life uh, always had its pressures? And hasn't life been even harder in lockdown? Since the coronavirus has swept across the world, we've seen that we are all equal. We are all subject to nature, to viruses, to these things, regardless of our bank balance or our LinkedIn accounts or wherever we are on Instagram or Facebook. We are all in it together. And many of us face and continue to face increased pressures. It's mental health that's gone really bad for most of us. It's isolation that's been felt like never before. It's loneliness that's impacted all of us. And I think these pressures are only going to get worse and harder as our diaries get more fuller and we start saying yes to people. And as we carefully come out of lockdown and start opening things up, I think James wants us to know today a very important thing. Sisters and brothers, there is still work to be done. And there is a lot of work to be done. James reminds us that now is the time to reboot our enthusiasm, to re reboot our creativity, and to reboot the need that we see here and nationally and globally and reach out to do something about it. Now is the time. If there has ever been such a time, it's now to get excited about our future with God. This is why we as a church are a really big fan. We're probably a super fan, you know, the, the biggest fan you can be with Tear Fund, that wonderful uh, charity that we support here. And it's because Tear Fund have a vision of rebooting the world. They want to see an economy that, in which we share more, consume less, and flourish within the natural limits of the planet. We know it will be ambitious. We know it sounds crazy some of the time. But we also know that if you look at policy change here in the UK, you will see a direct line of local churches playing their part and changing law and legislation to make our society a fairer and better place. And that's why in this letter, James, we see him tell us that it's action that we need to do because when we're acting for Jesus, we're trusting him as well. Both go together. In verses 21 to 26, 
James reminds those also who are reading this letter about Abraham's willingness to trust God in his own, with his own son. Now, Christianity isn't about child sacrifice. We don't go into that. We never have and we never will. But Abraham had to trust God in that moment. And in trusting God, he learned something of him. What are you going to trust God with today? If you're honest with yourself, and it's hard to be honest, let's be honest, (laughs) what's that bit in your heart, in your mind, in the depths of your, your, your being that you dare not show anyone, that you dare not speak about, that God today is saying, bring it to me, bring it to the cross, let's deal with it, let's make it beautiful again, and let's repair you. What is that piece? I think this is also why we see that Rahab gets a mention in our text today. James wants to remind us that even Rahab, this person who people thought was connected but not quite sure, and she's a prostitute and not quite sure how that works with Jesus and all this sort of stuff, but in her act of faith in offering hospitality to these foreign spies, we see that she gets a mention because she matters to God. So today, in this room and online, there are, and I'm certain of it, people who God is asking to dream again today. And you probably know it's you, and you're probably hoping that I don't call you out, and you're probably hoping that I'll be quick. But God is not finished with you. God wants you to get creative, to plan again, to learn again, to adapt again, because you are the change makers that he's been looking for. You are. Yes, you. But make sure that that planning and that plotting and that strategy lead to action. That's what James wants you to do. Don't just think about it. Do it. Let it seep out of you. Whatever it is, Jesus is is inviting you today to play your part because there is so much work to get on with. That woman who came knocking with her baby taught me this. Stop looking for someone else to save the planet. It's time for you and me to grab our faith, to live in action, and to get creative for Jesus. So this week, sisters and brothers, both here and online, how will you play your part? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you run to us, that you know us, that you love us, and you call us forward. Lord, we pray that tonight you will speak to us that you will challenge us to take that next step of faith, faith in action for you as we go back to our homes, to our families, to our loved ones. May we be the change makers that you long for in your world. Amen. Thank you so much.